Good morning. This is the Christmas season. Christmas trees are being put all over the city. Real pine trees are being sold in Dubai now. Christmas market has come into the city. Santa Claus will pay a surprise visit to the Riverland Dubai. It's a surprise. Carols have been sung at the Dafsa food court of late. It's a special season. But what is it that really makes this season special? <clears throat> what is the most remarkable thing about Christmas to you? Is it the trees and the bulbs? Shopping? Is it Santa Claus? Is it family time? Is it the baby Jesus in the manger? Or is it something else? My hope is that as we look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, two questions will be answered. What is special about Christmas and why is Christmas special? I hope that these questions will be answered as we look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. These are the words of Jesus, and let's allow him to answer these questions. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. I have two points for my sermon, and they're both questions. Who is the Son of Man? That's the first point. And second one, why did he come? Who is the Son of Man? And secondly, why did he come? Well, who is the Son of Man? Well, this expression, the Son of Man, was Jesus' favorite title that he used to refer to himself. And he meant to communicate much using this title. In fact, Jesus was the only one who referred to himself using this title. It has been used over 81 times in the Gospels. But what did he mean by the use of this title? Answering this question is key to understanding who the Son of Man is. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, in verse 10, Jesus says, The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then in the same chapter, in verse 28, Jesus says, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He said things about himself that were applicable only to God. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can cancel the debt that man owes God. Only God can restore relationships that were broken. And Jesus says, I am that person. Again, only God is the lawgiver. He is the only person who can interpret the law without any mistake. He's the only person who can say, this is what the law means and nothing more. He's the only person above the law and the only person who owns it. And Jesus says, I am that person. In other words, in Mark chapter 2, Jesus was claiming to be God with this title. 
Because I am God, I have the authority to forgive sins. Because I am God, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. But Jesus says more things about the Son of Man in Mark's gospel. So if you look at chapter 8 and verse 38, Jesus says the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And in 13 verse 26, Jesus says the Son of Man will come in clouds with great power and glory. If you look at the Son of Man in the Gospel of Mark, he looks like a human being. And he is. He's 100 person man. But he's, he's just more than a man. He says he has glory and splendor and majesty and power and dominion. And he says he will come in clouds in the glory of his Father. He says angels will obey him. He says he will gather his people from all corners of the earth. So how do you connect these two? Jesus... The Son of Man is God in the flesh. His glory was veiled in the flesh when he came. But there will come a time when his glory will be visible to all because he's God. And that's when he comes. But there's one more text to which I want to turn your attention to. And the reason I want to do that is because Jesus did that. So turn with me to Daniel chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. This is the courtroom of God. The ancient of days, the one who has no beginning and the one who has no end, the eternal God takes his heavenly seat. He is on his throne. That's verse 9 and 10. Let's look at verse 13. I saw in the night visions. This is Daniel seeing the vision. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Note that word, like. He isn't just a man. He is more than a man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. He came with the clouds of heaven. When you read the scriptures, you understand that cloud is often used in connection with the presence of the Lord. So if you look at Exodus 40, Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled it. In 1 Kings 18, after the temple was constructed, the priests could not stand to minister because the cloud, the glory of the Lord had come down. At the Mount of Transfiguration, it's from the cloud that the voice of affirmation came. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, as the disciples looked at Jesus and he ascended to glory, it is the cloud that received him. And the angels said, he's going to come back the same way. So here in Daniel 7, if the person like the Son of Man came with the clouds, he is none other than God. That's why he is like a human being. He's God and he's man. He is more than just a human being. Verse 14. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That's something that only God possesses in the Bible. It was given to this person. That all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. Again, in the Bible, if there is one person who is worshipped by people and served by people, it is God. And here, in verse 14, nations and people from all languages will worship and serve the one like the Son of Man because he is God. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So he is given a kingdom, and he rules over the kingdom. His kingdom is forever, and there is no one who can overthrow him, and only God possesses such kingship. Now, why would I quote these verses for us? Well, because... When Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, he has Daniel 7 in his mind. He wants his listeners to know that the one that Daniel saw in his vision is here. Therefore, it is with so much of meekness, but with great authority that Jesus talks to the high priest when he was asked, are you the Mashiach? Are you the son of the blessed? Jesus says, yes, I am. You will see the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Mark 14, verse 62. Or in other words, what Jesus is saying is, Mr. High Priest, you may judge me now. And you may condemn me to death, but there will come a day when I, the Son of Man, will come in all glory and power, and you will stand before me, and I will judge you. The Son of Man is the ultimate judge. And Son of Man... Then is Jesus' way of telling his listeners that he is God in the flesh. He is God. He is the Lord of lords and he is the King of kings. And Paul says about him in Colossians 1 and Butch read that passage today. For by him, Jesus, the Son of Man, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Let that sink into our hearts now. That means everything. Everything that exists, the zillions of stars, every galaxy, the solar system, the planets, the sunlight, leaves, colors, oxygen and carbon dioxide, molecules, atoms, protons, and amoeba, they were his idea before they existed. But he decided and ordained the properties of everything that exists. That's why butterflies fly and penguins don't. He decided who will do what, when, and how. And he, Jesus, the Son of Man, holds the universe together, not NASA. 
Should he take his eyes off his creation, the creation will disintegrate into nothing. Even now, this very second, the creation is in need of his care. In fact, all creation, the sun, planets, clouds, water, trees, animals, birds, they all exist for him. Which means he's the goal, the purpose, the intent, the point, the culmination of every molecule that exists. The universe is about the Son of Man and his name is Jesus. Christmas, my friends, is about Jesus, the Son of Man. It's not about Santa Claus. The story of Christmas begins with God becoming man, not with Santa Claus. You and I will misunderstand Christmas if we fail to understand Jesus. There is glory in Christmas because of Jesus. If we take Jesus out, there can be no Christmas. The glory of Christmas is Jesus, God veiled in human flesh. Christmas is about God who became man. And so what are your thoughts about Jesus right now? Do you do you see Jesus as a baby or do you see him for who he really is? God who came and who will soon come to judge. This time, he's going to come in the clouds with power and glory. No one can stop him. No one can threaten him. No one will question him. And no one will reject him. He is not going to come as a baby. He's going to come in his glory. He's not coming to teach. He's coming to rule as the king. He will not be judged this time, but he's going to judge this time and will settle things on his terms as the king of this universe. His coming marks the end of all ages. History will end. Kingdoms will end. Jesus will rule. Are you prepared to meet the king? Christmas reminds us that the king is going to come again. This time in his glory. But then why did he come the first time? What is the purpose of his first coming to earth? That's the second part of the verse. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Two things before I answer about ransom. Two things. Firstly, Jesus came to serve. God came to serve. It is a staggering thought that God should come to serve mankind. That's why in verse 45, Jesus uses the word even. For even God came not to be served, but to serve. So in Jesus, we see the servant God. 
Secondly, the Son of Man chose death. So if you look at verses 33 and 34, we're not going to read there because we don't have much time. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. He is not going to visit Jerusalem and take a tour of that city. Jesus is walking toward death. He is going to take condemnation, suffering, rejection, and death. Death was not a mishap for Jesus. Jesus chose death and he walked toward it. That's verse 33 and 34. But what is special about his death? So look carefully at verse 45 again. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, that's death, to die as ransom. Let's not be quick to bypass that word. The word was used to explain the price that was paid to release a slave, a prisoner of war, or a condemned person. It was the price paid to attain freedom from various forms of bondage or condemnation. It was not a word that was associated with respectability. And so John Stott says that the emphasis of the word ransom is on our sorry state, our captivity to sin. And because Jesus uses this word, we have to get a grip of what Jesus has to say about us. We are captives to sin. Meaning, sin is our master. Meaning, sin reigns in us. That means we are sin servants. We are sin pleasers because we are sin servants. That's how we were born. We were born with an inbuilt love for sin. My dad and my mom did not teach me to love sin. I had it in me. And sin is not a good master. It's a deadly one. In fact, it destroys. It lies to us. It makes us believe that God is not good and there are things outside of God that bring us joy and pleasure. It makes us deaf. It makes us love foolishness. It hardens our hearts. It makes us feel comfortable with evil. It blinds us. It tells us that evil is outside of us. And we are weak before our sin. It makes us do things that we should not do, say things that we should not do, and think things that we should not do. It promises us good things, but leads us to hell, to face God's eternal, righteous, and holy wrath. This sin is not outside of us, but inside of us. We should be Terrified of the sin in us. And it is the sin in us that defiles us. That's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7. Listen to the words of Jesus. For from within, out of a person's heart, that's our hearts, 
from within come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things, says Jesus, come from within. They are what defile you. That's us, friends, and God is speaking to us now. Christmas has a bad news. We are not who we think we are. We might think we are free, but we are not. We are under the bondage of sin. We are sin pleasers, and we can do nothing to fix it on our own. If you think you can serve and save yourselves, you haven't understood the power of sin in you. The Bible says in Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Sin is an issue because God is holy. And because of sin in us, we have not only offended God, but we are born separated from God. We are born without any relationship with God. And we are headed for an eternal separation from God where we will eternally face the holy wrath of God. Condemnation awaits sinners. This is the bad news of Christmas. For Christmas, there's good news. The good news is that Jesus, the Son of Man, the eternal God, the Holy One, took on human flesh to die and save us from God's judgment. Jesus is the servant God who became ransom for us. His life in place of our lives. Jesus is the servant king who took God's judgment and served sinners by dying for them. There is therefore no other way that any sinner on earth can be saved other than coming to Jesus, repenting of his sins, and turning to him for salvation. Look at the servant king now. Forsake sin and trust in Jesus for your salvation. There is going to be a day when the Son of Man will descend as the judge in all his power and glory. Are you prepared to meet him in his, sorry, on his terms? Judgment awaits those who reject him now. Forgiveness is guaranteed for those who trust in Christ now. The good news of Christmas is that God came in the flesh to save sinners from God's judgment by giving his life. Trust him. Trust Jesus for your salvation. But there's more in this passage. You see, verse 45 comes after verse 44. And 44 comes after verse 43. This is part of a longer conversation of Jesus Christ. 45 is the climax. 
So if you've got to understand 45 clearly as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we've got to understand what's happening in this context. This is for the disciple of Jesus Christ. James and John have asked Jesus for honor from Jesus. They want glory and honor and fame and recognition like us. Like all of us. And observe how Jesus answers their request. Jesus asks them if they're willing to suffer as the image of cup and baptism indicate. The reason Jesus asked them this question is because in Jesus' kingdom, suffering is the path to glory. So in Luke 9, Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciples, he's got to deny himself Carry the cross, which means die to himself, die daily, and then follow me. So in Jesus' kingdom, the path to glory is through suffering. Jesus himself received glory through suffering. That's Philippians 2. And they tell Jesus that they're able. And Jesus says, you will. You will suffer. James was the first martyr in Acts chapter 12. For the sake of Jesus Christ, he died. John the Apostle was put into this lonely, isolated island called Patmos for the sake of Jesus. And so in verses 42 to 44, Jesus gathers his disciples and tells them that greatness in God's kingdom is measured by servanthood. Your pathway to glory O disciple of Jesus Christ, your pathway to glory is humble, patient, joyful, meek service of one another. Jesus wants his disciples to sacrifice their self for the good of others. Self-indulgence and selfish ambition is not the path to glory, according to Jesus. Servanthood is. This is the context of Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. And this is where it gets exciting for a disciple. I want you to observe the humility of Jesus. Jesus does not say, serve one another because I'm your example. Well, if that's what he did, then he's not different from Buddha. Or new age leaders who say sacrifice and don't be angry and be patient, climb mountains, be patient, count from 1 to 50 and you'll not be angry. Jesus does not say that. Jesus says otherwise. He gives a reason in verse 45. The first word is for. He's trying to explain things here. He says, I did not come to seek your service. I came to serve you. So when Jesus calls his disciples to radical obedience, he is saying that he will be their savior and their servant. He will save them from selfishness and he will serve them for selflessness. So he's he's saying, yes, I want you to give up yourself. Yes, I am commanding that you serve, but I... Jesus, the Son of Man, God, will serve you to serve others. I will be your helper. I will work for you. In other words, Jesus is not asking us to imitate him. That's not the only thing that he's asking us to do. He's, asking, he's saying that we cannot be servants 
unless and until he serves us first daily. So Jesus not only saves us from our sins, he serves us daily to fight sin. That's why the Christian gospel is glorious. We are a bunch of messed up people who failed miserably before a holy God, stubborn people who deserve God's judgment. Jesus, in his mercy, comes down, takes our punishment, rescues us from God's judgment to come. And then Jesus makes his radical call on his disciples. He saves, serve one another by being a slave of everyone. I, Benoit Samuel, cannot do it on my own strength. I don't have it in me to serve selflessly and joyfully. It is hard for me. In fact, it's impossible. And so I need help. I need help to serve this way. And here is where Jesus comes in and he says, I will serve you to follow me. Well, now John 15 makes sense. For Jesus there said, without me you can do nothing. Here's what Piper says. He's a pastor. When Jesus commands us to do something, it is his way of telling us he wants to serve us. The path of obedience is the place where Christ meets us as our servant to carry our burdens and give us his power. When you become a Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you don't become his helper. He becomes your helper. He becomes your servant. Jesus does not need our help. Jesus commands our obedience and offers us help. You and I can't buy it. You and I can't earn for it. You get it by grace from Jesus, the servant king. Believe in this spectacular promise of God. Jesus is our servant king. What does this mean for us as church members, as disciples of Jesus Christ? Husbands, when we return home every day after work and we're tired and we're exhausted, we reach home desiring service. We want our family to serve us. We want to enter the comfort zone, and it's going to be difficult to serve. So here is where the husbands can pray. God, Jesus, you have promised to be my helper. I am selfish and I don't want to serve my family. I just want comfort. But you said you will serve me, you'll help me. So form within me a humble heart and grant me joy to step out of this this self-centered zone and serve my family joyfully. Wives, oh God, sometimes I find it so hard to submit to my husband. 
At least I pretend to be submissive. But I like control. And I know that sin. So Jesus formed within me a heart that enjoys submission. Like you did when you submitted to your father. I am weak. And I need strength. Jesus, be my strength and serve me to be submissive. And enjoy the leadership of my husband. Parents, oh God, parenting is just so difficult. We are more prone to impatience, pride, anger, control. God, we talk about grace, but we are not gracious to our children. And so, even as parents, God, we are weak. But Jesus, will you give us the strength to be humble before our children and recognize before them that we are also in need of grace as much as they are? Remind us that we are sinners who need Jesus regularly so that we are able to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness and parent them patiently. Jesus, serve us. Singles, God, we are more tempted to feel self-sufficient and be independent. Or will you teach us, O oh Jesus, that you are our sufficiency? Will you teach us to trust in you? God, will you, Jesus, will you prepare us for, us, for, our, for our marriage? Will you prepare our hearts? Will you transform my heart? My heart, grant me patience and humility and grace and patience and gentleness and meekness and self-control. Oh, Jesus, be my guide. Isn't this great that the Savior, Jesus, the Son of Man, is our servant king who did not just die for us to earn our salvation. He says, I will serve you. I don't need your help. I am here to help you and serve you and be your servant. What a glorious God. I began with two questions. What is special about Christmas? And why is Christmas special? Well, Christmas reminds us of who Jesus is, who we are, and why Jesus came. Jesus is the Son of Man. He is God who took on flesh to die and save us, who are slaves of sin from the power and guilt of sin. There is freedom in no other name other than Jesus Christ. So may this Christmas season be a time when you will trust in Jesus for forgiveness and for salvation. May this also be a time as Jesus' disciples that we will turn to Jesus and see him as our helper. 
is our servant, the one who supplies strength, the one who supplies guidance and joy to be a slave of all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, the son of man, the holy one, who came joyfully, gladly, and died on our behalf as a ransom for us. We thank you that Jesus has paid it all. He's finished the work. So we pray, O Jesus, that we will cherish you, that we will hold fast to your work for our joy, and that as your disciples, that we will seek after you, that we will run to you, that we will rest in you and treasure you for strength to serve one another with patience, humility, and joy. God, we pray for those who don't know you and who are seated here today. We pray that they would not leave this place without knowing you. So save them, Jesus. You are more powerful than the sin in them. Rescue them graciously. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.